0: Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far. The hustle and grind continues as we're now into season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple. I'll be your host to this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately, a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. In this industry, many people talk about going above and beyond the call of duty to be the most successful. You tie that in with innovation, and that is the definition of our next guest. Our next guest is the president and CEO of the Edmonton football team of the Canadian Football League, Chris Preston. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Travis. Glad to be here. Chris, I appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Let's start on how I introduced you. I got to know you and your passion and the willingness to always go above and beyond when we work together in Phoenix. Before diving into your career stops, why is it always important for you to be innovative? Chris, I appreciate your time and certainly looking forward to our conversation. Let's start off on how I introduced you. I got to know you and your passion this Uh, and the willingness to always go above and beyond when we work together in Phoenix. And before diving into your career stops, why is it always important for you to be innovative?
1: I think innovation ultimately drives business. And I think we've seen throughout this pandemic, as we've all had to be a bit more resourceful, just in the basics of business, such as communication, I think it's what drives everything. So I think the creativity around day-to-day, what you do with your staff and what you do externally as well are the key Uh, One of the biggest keys to business.
0: Well, Chris, you've certainly been known to really be innovative and doing some things that people probably shook their heads at, but it worked. So two crazy things, in my opinion, come to mind, and we're going to talk about them. When you were with the Arizona Sundogs, a minor league hockey team, you and the owner did a few things to sell season tickets. First, it was camping out on a scissor lift for six days. And then the next year, you were buried alive in an eight-foot container. So a
1: ton of questions. First, what?
0: What? What? How did this come about?
1: You know, we were trying to gain attention. We were trying to generate revenue, as you and I seem to always want to do. And we wanted to be out of the ordinary. We wanted to find something that was unique and innovative, as we talked about earlier. And we wanted something that would move the needle a bit. Our goal was to sell 300 season seats in each of these campaigns. And both of them worked. So for that particular time in that particular town, it was really about how do we gain max attention, how do we grow our business, and how do we do so in a way that people will remember. And through those times in the, in the elements of Arizona, even though it was up north where it's a bit cooler, people saw our commitment to them, and that really resonated with them. So this whole guerrilla marketing tactic that we implored in that particular town actually really worked. And in, in a big city, it would be much more challenged. But in Prescott Valley, Arizona, it was a home run.
0: No, and to your point, you, you talked about not only it was great brand awareness, obviously revenue awareness, and, and you had success with them. What, you know, what, I guess, looking back, you're, you're on top of a scissor lift. Like, how high is that?
1: I want to say it was about 45 to 50 feet high, and I uh, I would never do that again, and I would highly not recommend anyone else trying that. I think the biggest question mark around that is we had four guys on that lift, and we all had to sleep on that lift as well, and two of the guys I was with were 6'3", so it was quite challenging. Needless to say, for about a week, none of us got any sleep, and then you get up and stand in the sun all day and act crazy, so not something I recommend unless <laughs> you really are desperate for business, which at that time we were.
0: And how often were you, were you getting off of this to utilize the restroom, to eat, to drink something?
1: You know, if we uh, were going to eat and drink, we had a bag that we would lower down with a rope and they would put our food and drinks in it. We would pull the rope back up and we would consume those. And then about probably every four or five hours, we would get down and uh, go to the restroom. And we tried not to stay down there very long. I mean, as long as it took you to get in and out is all we really allowed. So we were down on the ground for maybe... 20 minutes a day with four or five bathroom stops and then we all hopped back on the lift and slept for the night and away we went to, uh, the next day and over the course of time doing it at the busiest intersection in town certainly got us the, the attention we wanted and again really resonated with the community who, who valued hard work and commitment. It's like escape from Alcatraz all over again. Uh, so, so then to the,
0: to the next year, it says, okay, hey, we, we crushed the revenue. We got the brand awareness. Let's do it again. Let's get crazy. And now you're getting buried alive in an eight-foot container. How long were you there?
1: I think we were there uh, 11 days and 11 nights. Um, I know we were. And uh, it was the most mortifying thing ever. I, you know, It certainly made me realize that humans aren't built for that sort of setting. When you're in a container – Uh, In which we did have a portage on at the back of the container, but you're underground and it's not the greatest airflow and uh, you're in Arizona and there's a a lot of sun coming in the container, even though it's underground, we had to have a mechanism up up top to breathe. It wasn't something that was very good for me mentally, uh, (laughs) which made me really want to get on the phone and dial for dollars from that container more so than I ever had before. So that was
0: going to be my next question. Were you guys both on the scissor lift and down there, like calling people saying, Hey, basically help us get out of here. Buy some season tickets.
1: That was exactly what we were doing. We had a list of names and certainly we had the database of names within our own phones, but we had a separate list as well that we had created. And we had a piece of chalk and every time we would sell one or two season seats, we would put the, the chalk, just like a, you, you see in, a, in an old time movie about being in jail and when we got five, we would draw a line through it and we would start another five. And after 11 days and 11 nights between the two of us, we generated 600 new season seats. That's awesome. That's incredible. And and certainly
0: you talk about it going above and beyond. You know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking like, oh, I go above and beyond. I make 120 calls instead of 100 or I set 15 appointments instead of 10. Until you do that, I don't know if we, anybody can ever say they do that. I, I've got to ask the next question, Chris, like, What were some other crazy ideas that were tossed around, but you maybe just never implemented? You know, I
1: think the craziest one was we were trying to figure out how to build an apparatus and then string a cable from one side of the highway to the other side of the highway and put this living apparatus that we were on for six or seven days and nights right over the highway. Uh, The only reason we didn't do it wasn't because we didn't want to. We figured that the approval process with the highway department would be a little challenging and thus we scrapped the idea, but it would have been something even on a more grand scale than what we did sitting at, a, at an intersection on a scissor lift.
0: I mean, at the end of the day, we could stop this podcast right now, you know, 52 weeks of hustle. And it's like, Chris is willing to hustle. You know, it just goes to shows the type of person you are and the work ethic you have. The listeners out there first, you know, feel free to pause this podcast right now, jump on YouTube. There are videos out there and, uh, in, in, you know, in, in TV news circuits that, that taped all this. Also, wondering how, you know, and and I'm sure a lot of these listeners are thinking, how can I think outside the box, you know, and certainly not to be confused with the box you lived in, but what's your advice on finding unique ways to just always be successful?
1: Yeah, I would use those two examples uh, that you guided people to on the YouTube for just that. It it wasn't um, just that we wanted to build our brand and we wanted to generate revenue, we wanted to generate publicity and talk around our team. Never could we have ever imagined that. Uh, BBC would cover us, Sports Illustrated would cover us, and a whole host of other national um, broadcasts. We were on Fox and Friends Live. It just exploded beyond our belief. I, I think um, you really, in a lot of instances, probably need to do the opposite of what your brain tells you. One of the best people I've seen that does this is Jesse Cole, who owns the Savannah Bananas, which is a minor league baseball team. And You're I've just a guest on
0: 52 Weeks of Hustle.
1: Was he really? Several weeks ago. Yeah, you have, yeah, to, you have to get ready. He's awesome. And he uh, he's done some of the most creative things I've seen from the all you can eat seats, which we've seen before to not having any signage in his venue to a traveling baseball team that he's put together. Now, I just really like what he does. And he told me out of his mouth, do the opposite of what your brain tells you to. And I would say that's a great suggestion. No, absolutely.
0: And now, you know, Chris, on your career path, you grow up in Oklahoma, you go on to attend Oklahoma State University, earn a degree in journalism, uh, certainly not focused on being buried alive or, or, you know, 50 feet in the air. But what was an early job or experience that ultimately helped you
1: lead, you know, kind of help lead down the sales and the sports path for you? Interestingly enough, it wasn't in the uh, genre of sports. It was a summer job I had digging ditches for an electric company. And I realized really quick in the Oklahoma sun with no protection uh, that I didn't want to do that for very long. And so I lasted the summer. I made it through the summer. And very quickly, uh, I started to focus more on when my dad asked me what I was going to do for a living, having an answer to that. And uh, with that said, I, I knew that sports was my passion. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do within that realm, but I knew that's where I wanted to be. And I was fortunate enough when I got to school, as you mentioned, I had a professor that um, made us do a project out, outside of the city of Stillwater. I chose a minor league basketball team at the time. And one thing led to another. And it got me my first job in sports.
0: No, that's awesome. And, you know, certainly throughout that part, you know, of understanding what you want to do. And while at Oklahoma State, you receive an internship with the Oklahoma City Blazers, which was a junior ice hockey team, and your work ethic was certainly noticed then. And so give the listeners a brief glimpse into the infamous security card Dave
1: and how that helped propel your career. I just can't believe you even remember me telling you that story. That's probably more impressive than the answer I'm going to give, but I'm a (laughs) I'm a very goal-oriented person, and I started as an intern, and I wanted to be running the team in five years, and certainly that at the time was a fairly unrealistic goal, yet did come true, and the way it came true is I was about four years into my first job, and I was getting frustrated because I knew the limit in my mind of five years from the bottom to the top was quickly approaching, and the individual that I reported to started the team, and I knew he wasn't going anywhere soon. And he wasn't there a lot, frankly, to see the work that I did day in and day out. Um, and so I, I came to work the normal time I did. My boss came in an hour or two after I did, which was normal. And he flagged me into his office, sat me down and said, hey, I want to apologize to you. And I said, why are you apologizing? He said, I had no idea the amount of time that you spend here. And I said, well, how did you finally figure it out? And he said, you know, Dave, the security guard that sits down by the elevator. And I said, Yeah. He goes, I was getting on the elevator this morning and he stopped me and he said, hey, I don't know who that guy is. I don't know what he does, but he comes in at seven and he leaves at seven. And I just wanted you to know. Three months later, I had my own team and my first GM job.
0: That's all it, you know, to that point. You never know who's watching. Right. And And just the amount of hard work and effort typically never goes unnoticed. Um and you know that's th- to the straight point. The recognition of hard work is typically always being noticed. Now, early on in your jobs, you took the route of minor league sports, and then it became a career for you. And so, what are some key
1: learnings you have taken away from working in the minor leagues? I think more than anything, you have to be willing to do anything. And I think once you understand that, if you can carve a niche within any business you're working for, you're going to show greater value to your employer. The more value you show to your employer, the greater propensity it is for you to have a long-term job there, a long-term stay there and get promoted. Uh, and I go back to the very simple basics of life when I started, which was if the copier jammed, I figured out how to, how to unclog the copier because people jam it, they, they leave it, you walk up, you can't print anything. And so I was the guy that learned how to do all the things nobody else wanted to do. And as you said... Hard work and, and intellectual stimulation does not go unnoticed, and that was the case where I worked. I started to create more value for myself within the company, and whenever something needed to be done, be done, they started to call me, and, and I started to get promoted fairly regularly because of that.
0: When your promotion certainly came pretty quickly and you ultimately work your way up to the general manager of Intrust Bank Arena, you became the GM even prior to the opening of the $205 million project there in Wichita, Kansas. And so how was that experience of being a part of a brand new build and brand new arena?
1: You know, it was awesome. It was the most challenging job I have ever had. I was also running a secondary building on behalf of the county about 18 miles away as well. So needless to say, my plate was more than full. And uh, it taught me a lot. Uh, I reported to three different people. So it it made me understand how to manage people. Uh, I was working and reporting to the county, uh, running a city-owned building, and working for a large um, administration company who ran the building. So again, learning how to manage people at high levels was key. And then just learning all the different mechanisms of putting on a building while watching, as you said, this $205 million building come out of the ground. Being able to share that, that progress with various stakeholders throughout that, that time and then learning along the way. I, I learned a lot about construction. I learned a lot about wayfinding signage and things that I never, ever had even thought of before became things that I regularly did every day. So it was one of the greatest experiences I've had and it taught me the most of any job I've ever had.
0: And to that point of of not only were you taught a ton, but I'm sure you went through some pretty cool experiences of being a part of a new build and probably some meetings that you're like, why am I in this meeting? Looking back, what was some of the most exciting parts of you going through that experience?
1: I think the most exciting part was booking acts for the building, uh, dealing with agents and agencies who who represent big acts, uh, Bon Jovi, Elton John, Billy Joel, Brad Paisley, uh, Taylor Swift, all people that I dealt with and all uh, their agencies who I dealt with. And just understanding that um, they're normal people. They want to help. They want you to be excited. And uh, that was probably the funnest part of that job that created the biggest stir. Uh, and then when you actually get to meet the talent uh, 30 minutes before they go on stage and they talk to you like a normal human being that makes all the hard work worth it.
0: Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Chris Presson, president and CEO of the Edmonton football team, Chris, you go on to become the president of the Quad City Mallards and the Arizona Sundogs, both of the Central Hockey League. So in the minor leagues, you can't really focus on players or dynasties because many teams, the individuals are are certainly different each year. So how do you and your team always continue to find ways to grow revenue each and every year?
1: Yeah, I think it goes back to what you always preach, Travis, in our time together and on 52 weeks of of hustle, and that is the word hustle. I think you have to, to be willing to hustle. I think you have to be willing to put the time in. You certainly have to stay creative and innovative uh, because creation and and innovation is what gets people excited. And I always want to, if I'm going in front of a client, whether I'm selling season seats or partnerships, I always want to get in front of the client and, and present something that's exciting. I want to present something that's out of the ordinary. I want to present something that they have a really hard time of saying no to. And then I challenge myself when I hear an obstacle to overcome that obstacle instantly. Uh, it's why I've never understood why people don't do well in interviews when at any level for any job you ever go apply for, you can anticipate 99 of the 100 questions that they're going to ask you again, whether it's an entry-level job or a CEO job, and so you should do well. The same thing in, to me applies with partnerships and season seats. You you can anticipate all but maybe one question they may ask you, and therefore you should do well in your presentation because you should know before you go in What it is, what interest they have, and where it is they're trying to target their business to drive toward.
0: No, absolutely. And much of the understanding of those minor leagues is you're really able to get that experience you talk about doing a little bit of everything. So, what has that been like for you and your team, knowing that you might be selling tickets one day, a community event the next, and being a mascot on
1: another day? I think it's such a great trait to be able to be a chameleon in this business. Again, I think it goes back to the creation of value and you carving a niche within the. The position that you're holding. And uh, while understanding that people do get offended if you encroach on their territory, if you show them the reason that you're encroaching on your territory and what a benefit you are to them, then all of a sudden they envelop you in what they're doing, even though it may not be your department. And again, it goes back to showing greater value, and then all of a sudden when people actually want things to get done, you are the first person they call. So again, I think this approach to wearing a number of different hats, regardless of what sport you're in, is one of the biggest keys to success down the line because it familiarizes you with every facet of the business. Oh, absolutely.
0: And, you know, leading up and back in 2014, you go on to become the team president of the Arizona Rattlers of the Arena Football League, as well as the team president of the Northern Arizona Suns of the NBA G League. This is obviously where you and I connect and we work alongside you. And what I always and i have told you this countless times respected is, your work ethic and hustle, which we've also talked about, but maybe even more impressive was your efficiency uh, and how you always were very efficient. And so thinking back to those franchises a couple hours away from each other, how did you prioritize and focus on the task at hand, You know, especially given that the, the time away from, from both offices?
1: Yeah, I always knew today what I was going to do tomorrow. And I think um, in any instance, whether you're running two teams or one and they're in different markets, or the same sport, different sport. I think it's important that you have a list of items, whether it's written down or in your head that you understand I've got to get these things done tomorrow, but you know what, the day before, Uh, it's the same relationship I had with you where I always admired your work ethic because I tried to stay in the building longer than you and dad gummit every time Travis Apple's still there and he's there when I get there in the morning at 6 a.m. too. So a lot of this, I learned from you as well. That being said, you really have to roll up your sleeves and get into the thick of it, but you have to understand the business in its totality. If you can do that, it's a lot easier to prioritize what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. And what I find in, in people at all levels is people do a lot of time wasting, and those are the things that I try not to do. I try and organize my day in a way that gives me the free time I need to take a, a, a brain break, yet I try to be very efficient and accomplish a lot in one day.
0: That's great advice, and I think for the listeners out there, whether you're you know in college, be sure to go to your professors. If you're an entry level salesperson, if you're in leadership, go to your leaders right now and really do that exercise of what should be your top priority. Because a lot of times I've learned in the in the leadership end, in this end, is where a team member may say, "Hey, I think this is my top priority," and from the leadership perspective, you're like not at all, you know. And so work together to help prioritize that and. You know, you obviously did a tremendous job of that with you and the staff. And while your time in Arizona, you helped lead the Rattlers to three consecutive franchises of the year awards and even won a championship. Uh, Minor league sports are tough, especially when you're playing in a market similar to the Phoenix market with multiple professional sports teams on top of it being a very transient market. So what are some of the keys to you and your team's
1: success that you saw back then? I think you have to know who you are. I, I think you have to know who your team is. And most importantly, I think you have to understand who you are not, who your team is not. Um, you know, with the Rattlers, we had a great reputation, yet we knew we were not a major league team. We knew it was important to um, create a niche in the marketplace, for, which for us was price point. And uh, we knew we weren't the, one of the big four. And uh, while we acted like that, we also knew where we stood. I think it's important as well from a staff perspective to understand what you have around you and understand who's capable of what and who's incapable of doing what, and allow people to play to their strengths while teaching them about their weaknesses as well. And I think it's important to hire people that are smarter than you if you have that opportunity. Again, I've never understood uh, why people are insecure about people around them that may make them better that you can also make better. I think it's important to hire people with a high intellect, but people that have a high work ethic as well. And those two combinations that's the hardest thing to find is high intellect with a work ethic that, that matches that. No, absolutely. Couldn't have
0: said it better myself. And you know, so several years ago, Chris, you ended up making the move to Edmonton. So why was that the right opportunity for you?
1: You know, I think um, I had done all that I could realistically do in, in Arizona. We had, we had had a great run with the Rattlers. Uh, There was certainly some mutual uh, interest from, from my current team and, and me and, You know, when I made a visit up here, uh, it certainly seemed like a nice fit. And for every obstacle that my family and I found in our way, we found that obstacle quickly removed anytime we would communicate with the team. So there was a a clear path that was pointing us this direction. Uh, Again, this is a a high-level major league in the the country of Canada. I thought it would be good for our children as well to experience something outside the realm of the norm because I felt like it would do uh, wonders for them down the line within their adult lives as well. Yeah. And you probably put it, put it lightly there, you know, during your time
0: there and both the transition, there've been a lot of challenges and opportunities. You know, first, we obviously go through the pandemic, uh, you know, which, which Canada has been you know very aggressive in the, in the shutdown, but then you're in the process of going through a brand change there with the football team and now looking to start the next season here in the couple months. So how did you help lead the organization through some of these unchartered territories?
1: You know, it was certainly challenging, um, but I looked at it as I'm, Doing nothing more than everyone else personally and professionally are doing as well. We were all trying to figure it out, and frankly, to some degree, still are. Uh, I was try. I always try to be prepared as I can with the information I have, and I still do. And then um, I think you know, being sensible and and being calm. Uh, you know, I told one of our staff members the other way uh, the other day. Don't give me Colorado. You know, don't give me ebbs and flows. Give me Oklahoma. Give me flat. Give me consistency. It's <laughs> a if good analogy. That's right. You give me Oklahoma and you stay flat and consistent every day. Then I think we can do good things together. And that's what I try to do through all these challenges with my own staff is just be consistent, be there for them. I want to be the rock that they need in times of trouble, because I realize that because of my knowledge, I should do a better job than them in handling crisis situations. No, absolutely. And
0: to that point. You know, Chris, with all of this going on and with all of the, you know, the variables in the sports world in general, you've always done a, a great job of being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And so how do you keep moving every day and certainly keep the team moving in the right direction to your point, no matter what's getting thrown at you?
1: Yeah, I think you have to have that, um, that clock within you that you wake up before your alarm goes off and you want to make sure you have everything put to get, put to bed before you uh, go to bed. And I think uh, that's a challenge for a lot of people. I think um, today with the, the environment we're in, uh, certainly mental health is a challenge. And I think uh, for us all, there are days when you wake up in the morning and you don't necessarily want to do what's in front of you. I've always found a way to overcome that obstacle. And I've always found a way to put one foot in front of the other. And I've always found a way to move forward. And uh, I, again, I'm a very simple person. and I. I only remember one quote, and I don't even remember who told me. But it's successful people do what unsuccessful people don't, and I can't really boil it down to anything more simplistic than that. When you have success in life, you're typically doing the things that no one else wants to do. I uh, couldn't agree more. And
0: you know, as you look about, you know, you've talked about some characteristics, and you know, now in your role now, and, and specifically throughout your entire career, you've done a lot of recruiting and and training and hiring and developing, but not only on the business side, but also on the the sports operation side and and bringing in new managers or coaches and players, etc. And so regardless of what role you're actually hiring for, what are some of those key
1: characteristics you're just always looking for? Always look for work ethic number one. I want someone male or female that's willing to put in the time. I know that I can coach you. But if you're not there enough, I know that we won't have success together. I've had to learn over the course of time that not everybody's built like me, just like not everybody's built like you. And I've learned that I have to treat people differently, that what I value, they may not. And the way I was taught, they may not have been. And it's it's up to me to understand who they are, what makes them tick, and how that I can get maximum results from them by using different tactics for people who have different personalities some people are motivated by money. Some aren't. Some people are motivated by moving up the, the the chain of command quickly. Some others aren't. So, how do I find the 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 best way to to um, get people to tick in a way that I need them to tick while using their strengths uh, to get them to move forward? And and it certainly is a, is a challenge. And this this pandemic has created even greater issues around that because of the again the the, the mental challenge that some people have and. I've also learned, Travis, that we all have something going on in our lives personally, me and you and everybody else. And I don't always know uh, what they may be going through or what they may have uh, gone through. So I try to keep that in mind as well. And I didn't do a very good job of that when I was younger. No, that completely makes sense. Now on to the U.S. versus Canada,
0: you know, from a living both personally and professionally, like you've obviously spent, you know, your, your entire life in the United States. What are some of the differences in how business is done in Canada?
1: Wow, that's a tough question. Uh, I think when you look at the nuances of business, um, they're relatively the same. Um, I don't see any real distinct differences. Um, Canadians are very hardy people. Uh, As I tell my wife every day, if it's two o'clock and I walk my dog every day, it's two o'clock and I'm walking my dog every day in Canada, I don't care what the weather is. And so I look at that analogy as one of those where Canadians are going to be where they're supposed to be all the time. You're always going to get great work ethic. You're always going to get kind and and healthy and hearty people who are willing to do what you need to do and what you want them to do. They're always going to be uh, willing and able to lend a hand. And that's what makes this league great. It's a very uh, older league. It's a heritage league. It's been around a long time. Um, there is a lot of tradition and history here. And uh, within this league, our team probably has the most tradition of any of the teams.
0: And that's a perfect, you know, I felt like it was a little bit of a softball question because I'm sure you've been asked in your, your past, right? What's the difference between selling in you know, Canada versus U.S.? What's the difference in selling this minor league versus this one or this professional? One? At the end of the day, the X's and O's are the same. It really comes down to the characteristics to be successful that you've talked about. And, you know, you've gone into the Canadian Football League. You know, Chris, what's your sales pitch on why should, should people look at the CFL as a career opportunity for themselves?
1: I think it's a great place to live. I think you can always, regardless of age, uh, create greater uh, value to your portfolio as an employee. Um, unfortunately in these days, very few people are like our parents where they went to work for a company and they worked for that company their entire lives and they retired there. It's not like that anymore. And so I think, um, especially when you're young, you're trying to be build value to your resume and you're trying to, to show why you deserve that next rung up the ladder. I think this is a great place to do it again. I think it's a great place to live. And I think it only helps you down the line when you're talking about, the resiliency it takes to operate within this business and do it country to country. You're just expanding um, on what you're very, very good at and you're just doing it in a separate country, which is only going to help, help expand your horizons and your resume. Absolutely.
0: So Chris, you know, throughout your career, based on my research, I believe you've won four different rings. Is that correct? That is correct. That's, uh, that's quite the accomplishment. So I always have to ask our guests
1: this, that have been fortunate to wear, you know, to win a ring or not, do you wear any of them at all? I never do. And I've probably of the four that I have, I've probably only worn them in totality, maybe 20 times. It's amazing. You you get your ring, you wear it that night. You maybe wear it one other time. And that's about it. You just don't do it. I've got them upstairs in a drawer and uh, that's where they remain most of the time. They'll be good keepsakes for the kids and grandkids one day. They'll appreciate no doubt them. About I'm sure. it.
0: Well, in order to that, you've done a great job of not only immersing yourself in the community, but also being involved as well as you balance the work-life balance with a wife and three girls. So what's your advice on being able to do both at a high level?
1: I think you have to be cognizant from a young age that um, the way you may think of the job you have isn't necessarily the way your wife and children think of the job you have. And I didn't do a very good job of that when I was younger. I certainly was very into my job and thought I was very into my family and realized that one was out of balance. And as I have gotten older, I've learned to, to do a better job of that. And uh, I have to work on it every day because I love my family and I love my job and I have to devote time to both of them. Um, but you have to really take and understand what your wife and kids are going through. I, I, it never really resonated with me, Travis, until we moved to New Haven, Connecticut, and I was at work, I came home, my, my wife was in tears. She was pregnant with our first child. I, I didn't understand what was going on, right? And when I said to her, What's wrong? And she said, Chris, you have to understand you have friends uh, at work, a built in group of friends, and I don't have any. And uh, she said, And I don't have any direction on how to gain friends. I think that was the, the time uh, in the, the line in the sand that really made me wake up and understand something that I'd never thought of before. And that's why it's so hard. To balance each of them, but I think it's important that you put your family on the same pedestal you put your job. No, absolutely,
0: great advice, great advice. And Chris, this has been great. You know, certainly, you know, fun career, and you've helped so many people in this industry. As you look back at your career, what would you say has been your best memory?
1: Oh my gosh, Travis, probably just people. You know, I think um, in in our business of, of sales, regardless of what you're selling, I think we all understand it's about the relationships. And for me, it's about the relationships. It's it's relationships with guys like you and Nick and and many, many others that you and I could talk about all day. And then the connections yep. that those people have to other people that you didn't know that all three of you were connected to. So I would say uh, I don't necessarily have a best memory. I would say I have lots of memories of lots of people that I've worked with over the years that uh, have become a big part of my life. Well, that's awesome. And, and certainly I've enjoyed our
0: friendship and always working together. And I think, you know, from all the listeners on the podcast, they realize Chris Preston, there's hustle behind that always grinded. So appreciate the time because I'm sure you're off to another nine or 10 meetings today, but to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this. I'm ready. I feel like the first question I have to ask if you could do one unique
1: thing to help sell a lot of season tickets. Now, what would that look like? I guess I could sing karaoke and it would be some sort of Neil Diamond song because I can be fairly monotone. And with my country accent, I could actually probably pull it off for about three notes.
0: OK. All right. So you'd sing <laughs> some karaoke to, to, to sell some season tickets. I yes. That. And I'm,
1: don't even ask, Travis. I'm not doing it today. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, we have a few minutes. That would be nice.
0: <laughs> There's no way.
1: No way. Can't do it. Well, so, I can't you- even I can't even think of a Neil Diamond song right now.
0: But but you know that's the, the karaoke we do. Well, Sweet what about
1: the flip side? So at one point in
0: time, you know, you you buried, you were buried alive. One point in time, you were up on a scissor lift. Is there anything else out out you know craziness that you would consider now?
1: You know what? If uh, if it improved the position of our club and it was healthy and uh, I could endure it mentally, I'd be willing to consider just about anything. I think uh, the stupidity of standing in Arizona heat. And being buried in Arizona heat was probably not two of my best moments in terms of my ability to mentally handle that. But I'd be willing to consider about anything. As you say, there in Edmonton, you may just have to ice fish without any,
0: you know, without <laughs> any you know, structure around it for a couple of days. Maybe that'll help Sal, but that's right. If you could choose two people to have dinner with, who would they be? God and Michael Jordan. Nice. Nice. That would be uh, quite the conversation. And Chris, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day?
1: Uh, You have to work hard. You have to be willing to listen. And then you have to apply what you listen and what you learn with that work ethic. And that's typically the the potion for success in a very simplistic way. It's a very simplistic way, but it works,
0: right? Couldn't agree more with those three. It's you're working your tail off, you're open to learning, and then you've got to do it. You've got to apply it. And, And again, Chris, thank you so much. You've certainly had a great career. Always a pleasure talking to you. And I really appreciate our friendship and certainly your time and expertise today. Likewise, Travis. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram. So follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.